All right. It is um, it's a pleasure of mine to introduce our guest preacher for this morning. His name is Ron Clegg. He's the associate pastor at Southwood Presbyterian Church up in Huntsville. If you can guess by the name, uh, his title for me has always been and still is dad. So, um, But he was missionary in Budapest, Hungary for six years with Serge, um, and now his work at Southwood focused on particularly discipleship that leads towards a mission. So he's going to come. He can come up here and is going to preach for us this morning. I never really envisioned myself over the years being a missions pastor. But one of the things I'm finding, uh, especially recently, is I get an awful lot of opportunity to talk about missions. And it's a blast. So... I'm really pleased to get this chance to come here and to encourage you in seeing and looking more at what God is doing the world over. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, read our scripture for this morning and get into the study of it. Father, um, oh, how we thank you for um, just making yourself known to us. Thank you for drawing us into life with you and then giving us the privilege to making that life known. Um, as we get into this text, we're going to talk about truths that are, that are huge, far beyond what words can say. And so I pray for a great work of your spirit to be our teacher, to open our minds but even more so up in our hearts, that we would, um, that our hearts would be receptive, fertile ground for the planting of your word and come and work that we might be transformed, that we might be so much more full of joy that comes from you so that the world would know. And so visit us, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Our scripture this morning, you have printed for you the the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. We're not going to read the whole thing because I want to save a little bit of time. Our service is running a little bit long this morning with all of our guests. Um, But you don't have to be at work until tomorrow. So we're good. I want to start, um, pick up reading at verse 13 um, and then read through the end of the chapter. So follow with me as we read God's inspired word of truth. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, 
that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. And I have made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me ask you a question just to kind of start off. Um, what is your purpose in life? Why do you do what you do? I know that in organizations, particularly like this church, every church these days particularly has a mission statement, a purpose statement, so that it defines what they're all about, what they are to do, because they don't want to just wander aimlessly. We want to, and especially in our culture here in the U.S., this is very important for us. We want to be purposeful. We want to be intentional. So... You know, as a church, we have this. That all makes sense. Every business has a purpose statement. But this also applies to us. When I think of life, when I think of what my life is, what it should be, what is that purpose? Am I moving purposely towards something? Well, I am moving towards something. It may not be what I would express, but there is a purpose that is moving me and driving me. Um, I know that for my generation, when um, the boomers, and I know that I am in a great minority here, um, for our generation, our purpose, it seemed to be to simply have, get a good job, go to school, get your degree, get a good job, buy a nice house, nice car, retirement on the beach. That was the purpose in life. That's what we worked for. But in subsequent generations, and I think rightfully so, they saw and looked into that purpose and saw the emptiness of it and said, is this all it is? I'm going to slave and work all my life just so I can go get sand between my toes? Um, But I think for subsequent generations, I mean, we want something bigger. We want to make a difference. We want to, we want to make a change. And so, but the way things are going, you know, how's, how's that going for you? Are we, are you frustrated with the way things are going in life? The way you're, the things are going in this world. Do you see any hope for real change? And I think for, for many of us, regardless of generation, 
our purpose shifts to be little more than just the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of excitement, the pursuit of a new experience that provides an experience that will provide some sense of meaning, some, some sense of thrill. But sadly, those experiences are very short-lived. And so what life ends up becoming is we move from one experience to the other, trying to find that fulfillment, trying to find that sweet spot. Because when we function according to purpose, that is the sweet spot. When you use a tool, I used to love to work on my cars and I was always frustrated because I never had the right tools to do the right job. That costs a lot of money. Tools are expensive. But when you get the right tool for the right purpose and use it for that intent, it's a sweet thing. We're not tools. But yet, where is that sweet spot for us in finding our purpose? Um, So it's vital for us. It's also going to be the source of our great joy. So, why are we so hard-pressed to find real purpose and meaning in finding that sweet spot in life? Well, we have to go back. We need to go back and do a little biblical history here. And go all the way back to the beginning, the Garden of Eden. And let me say, just as a side note here, when you... To understand all of the rest of the Bible, you need to understand these first three chapters of Genesis. Because they basically lay the groundwork and the reason for everything that follows. So here are these words from Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, where God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens And over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice a couple of critical things here. We are not random blobs of mutating DNA. We are very intentionally made. According to a very definite pattern. We are made. To reflect in the very likeness of God himself. That we might be that reflection. That we might be that um, in creation. That material, physical experience of God. That's who we are. And notice also here that that applies when God speaks here. He speaks in plural terms. And so that tells us something else. It is God as Trinity in relationship with himself that he creates us in his image to be in relationship. 
Part of our purpose, part of our design is that relationship. God makes man not singly, but in pairs. He calls us together that we might represent and demonstrate and reflect his glory as he relates among himself. But then why did God do this? Why would he create us? There's only really one logical reason. It's because of his joy. He was enough. He didn't need anybody. He didn't need anything. He and the son and the father, son and spirit were all perfectly content, happy in this joyous relationship through all eternity. Why would he need something else? Well, the thing about joy is that it grows as it's shared. And so he creates the world so that his joy that is found in the Trinity can be spread and shared. It's part of his nature. And we see his joy in all this creation. If you look at verse 31 in Genesis 1, where it says, And God saw all that he had created. He said, Behold, it was very good. This is kind of like that divine celestial fist pump. So, yes! <laughs> Nailed it. Just his, his exuberant joy over all that he had made. And his joy just overflows in his celebration. I want to, let me read this quote from Michael Reeves in his book entitled Delighting in the Trinity. If you've never, I would really request, encourage you to find this book and read it. It's one of those books that you should read about every year, at least. This is what he says. He says, the very nature of the triune God is to be effusive, ebullient, bountiful. The father rejoices to have another beside him. And he finds his very self in pouring out his love. Creation is about the spreading, the diffusion, the outward explosion of that love. This is God exploding from himself in love, in joy, in celebration of all that he is. And he brings about creation out of that explosion. And we are part of that. To not only share that love, to enjoy that love, but to reflect it. That we would then be instruments through which his love, his joy would spread and thus increase. If that's possible for God's joy to increase. (laughs) And this is our purpose. This is why we're made. To have joy. To have joy in intimate relationship with this effusive, celebrating, joyous God. But then something happened. A change of course. Instead of enjoying that, we exchanged it. 
for something cheap. Because after you get past Genesis 1, you eventually get to Genesis 3 where everything unravels. And here we see why our world is the way it is today. We abandoned that original purpose for something far less. Something far less than what we were made for. As Paul put it in Romans chapter 1, he says, For they knew, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Instead of finding our purpose in him, reflecting him and enjoying him, We turn from him to ourselves. And we ended up with chaos. We ended up with futility. We ended up with disappointment. Because we were made for something more than just us. Something more than just what we can feel and touch. And so now we're left in this life pursuing to find something that will fill that void through our own hands and works. And we can't. It won't happen. (laughs) And part of the issue with us too is we know what we've done down deep inside. And we live with the shame We live with that sense that in us now, there's something wrong. There is something not right. We are not functioning the way we're supposed to. But yet, we won't turn from the course we took to the place we were meant to be. But see, here's when the good news of the gospel comes in. Because now Jesus enters the scene and this is the salvation that he brings. And the salvation, when Jesus comes, one of the things we have to understand is Jesus doesn't come just to give us a ticket out of hell. He doesn't come just to save us from this eternity of fire and brimstone. As was said a little bit earlier, he's come to make all things new. What is he making new? He's in the work of restoring Of redeeming, reclaiming what was lost. And so through his death of taking the penalty for our sin and shame. Upon himself. He then breaks our slavery to self. And turns us back into relationship with the one who created us. The one that we are in his image. And so he is restoring us to the very purpose that we were made to know. To know the Father in all of his glory. To enjoy him. Um, 
Even look in, in our text in John 17, we finally are getting there. In verse 3, he just says right there very plainly, he says, This is eternal life. That they would know thee, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is why he came to restore. To set us free from our futility. To bring us back into this glorious, celebrative relationship that we were made to know. And even if you look down in verse 13, where we started, notice what Jesus says here. He says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What is Jesus working for, for us? Why did he come? He came to restore that original joy that we were supposed to know. He didn't just come to make us good people. He didn't come to just clean up our lives so that we could be good enough to get into heaven. He came for our joy. God is not some ogre out there trying to Keep us from the pleasurable things. What he's doing is trying to break our addictions to the less pleasurable things so that we'll know true joy. This is what he's working for. This is what he's restoring. It is our joy. And that joy comes from knowing him. What does it mean to know him? Let's ask that question. What does it mean to know him? Well, the way we conduct a lot of our relationships, we have friends, people we know. But we also, most of our friends are probably more acquaintances than real friends. We have acquaintances we know a little bit about, but do you really know them? Do you really know what makes them tick? Do we really know what keeps them up at night and gives them sweats? Do you know what their sweet spot is in life? The things that just give them wonderful thrills. Do you know the fears, the hesitations, the disappointments? Do we know all of this? Do, you know, do we know about their dreams? The idea of what we're talking about here to know God is we have to go to the idea of marriage. This is the word to know, particularly in the Hebrew, is the word that's used for sexual intimacy. That we would know someone so closely, so intimately, so personally. You know, I've been married now for... Almost 38 years. And I can say I pretty much know my wife. Sort of. I'm still working on it. But our relationship, it's, it is, it's not just, we didn't get married just to legitimize sex The relationship becomes an adventure, a journey of knowing, but it's a relationship and it's a journey that has to be intentionally pursued. 
just so that in our sin, we can't know God like that. Because our sin presents this wall, this barrier. We are enmity with him. But this is what Jesus comes to break. And he comes to open up that door. And in him, we are welcomed again into intimacy. Where, as we see Adam pictured in the garden before before the fall. Or in those early chapters where God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. Looking for his friend. So Jesus has come to restore that relationship. And the picture that is so etched in my mind comes from the world of fairy tales. The story of Cinderella. You know the story of Cinderella? Where you have Cinderella who's the rejected, isolated um, woman... With really no hope of anything else. And the, of course the handsome prince. But imagine that you are Cinderella. You are at that ball. But because you are still in your own mind. You, this broken, dirty, rejected person. You're cowering in the corner. Afraid to be seen. Afraid to come in contact with anybody. But yet the prince walks up to you intentionally and reaches out his hand and says, come and dance. Come and dance. And this is what Jesus does. He says, come, come and dance. The barriers are gone. The enmity is broken. Let's celebrate. Let's enjoy just being together. That's what Jesus does for us. No more shame. No more questions. No more hesitations. Just the joy of the dance. This is the idea, I think, that's embedded in this prayer of Jesus. Because you see this glorious, celebrative relationship between him and the Father. And then he comes and says in verse 18, just as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. As Jesus came to once again declare that glory of his father and to share it. Now he turns to us and say, in your joy, go invite others into the dance. This is now our purpose that we would reflect his joy, his glory, his goodness, To be effusive like him in his love. That is missions. Hear these words from verse, again, from verse 20 through 23. And pay attention to these words. Because these are some of the deepest, richest, and most wonderful words you'll find anywhere in scripture. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Do you see what he's saying here? We are one with Jesus just the same way he is one with the Father and they are in us and we are in them and we're we're all one. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So what does Jesus want for us? He longs for us to be one, but not just together. That's part of it. But to be one with him, to again engage and enter back into and experience in the full that relationship for which we are made. That we would find our sweet spot once again in intimacy with him. That is our purpose. That is our calling. (laughs) And what's going to happen after that? The rest of our purpose is going to be fulfilled. Is that we are going to be in this world, in creation, examples, little models of that effusive love and joy. Because joy cannot be contained. For joy to be made full, it has to be shared. So this is missions. It is not just that we be obedient and go do the things that God has ordered us to do in some other place in the world. But missions is all about a relationship. A relationship with the one who's made us. Relationship with the one who has loved us. A relationship with the one who has poured himself out to us, who lives for, who works for our great joy. So that joy would be effusive just like his. And go far, far beyond us. The work of missions is the work of knowing. And is tapping into the very purpose for which we're made. So, if missions is not really happening, maybe in this church, sounds like it is though. You got a lot of missionaries here. That's great. Or maybe in your own life, that means a couple of sad things. And the first one is, sadness for you because if the joy from that relationship is not flowing then that more than likely means that you're not functioning in your sweet spot 
And more likely, you're pursuing futility. You're pursuing something that you think is going to fill that hole. And it can't. And so you are left wanting. You are left empty. The other sad thing is, is the joy doesn't flow. What Jesus has called us to, again, is not just a work. He's called us to dance. He's called us into a celebration. He's called us back into that vital relationship for which we are made, that we would engage once again in that purpose for which we are made. And when we do, that's when futility flees. And that's when joy flows. And that's when the world as well is going to join the dance. This is what we're called to. This is what Jesus has provided for us. This is what he paid for. This is why his death was worth what he came to do. We were worth it to restore us to the place that we were meant to be. So come, come to the dance. Come to his joy and let it flow. Let me pray for us. Father, would you, would you help us understand? Would you help us comprehend? Would you work by your spirit to give us a taste once again? Of the unmeasurable riches and joy of all that you give us in Jesus. Would you give us a fuller taste of that intimacy with you that our hearts would well up in celebration? Do that for us, but not just for us. Do it so that your joy would flow far beyond. That the party (laughs) would grow. Come, Father, work it as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.